we are starting a new series about what's your next step. Think about with me this for a moment. Uh, clothing brands are nothing new, but some of you might remember years ago when the brand went from the label to the outside. You know, when Nike came out with the swoosh and it was all over the shoes and everything, when Azad came up with the alligator and it was on the shirt, you know, that, now that seems to be the norm. Well, what I've noticed is lately there's a trend more and more of people wearing high-end outdoor equipment type clothing. You know what I mean? And when I say high-end, parents, you know what I mean. It's high-end. It's expensive. And not just the moderate price, uh, price stuff like Columbia or Magellan you can get at Belk or, or Academy. I'm talking the things you have to go to the specialty store to get. The things where it costs so much like uh, North Face. You've heard of that brand? Uh, REI or uh, Moose Jaw. Heard of that one? Orvis. Uh, Mountain Hardware. Uh, Chaco. Who pays $100 for a pair of sandals, right? But that's the norm. I mean, this happens. And these specialty brands are booming. They are not going away. And the gear does not come cheap. Now, some people buy this gear because they're outdoorsy. And they're outside and they're using it. And so they need that high quality. But some people wear it every day. They wear it to class. They wear it just sitting on their sofa. It's just another piece of clothing. Even people who are not the outdoorsy type are paying the big bucks for this expensive outdoorsy kind of brand. North Face had an ad uh, a couple of years ago. Three words. Picture of somebody on the side of a mountain repelling off a cliff, several of them. But, but three words on that ad campaign. Never stop exploring. Kind of makes you want to go buy something North Face and climb off the side of a mountain, you know, instead of staying in your boring life. Some do that. Others maybe not so much. They, their idea of exploring is maybe going to a shopping mall. Or maybe not an explore at all. They just want to sit on their couch, watch it on TV. Have you realized how much our culture is consumed with watching other people live their lives? The reality TV is on every night of the week. It's on every channel. You can't escape it. And you're talking to a friend. You need to help with something. And say, man, I am so busy. I'm slammed. I can't add one more thing to my schedule. And then in casual conversation, you bring up something like The Voice or American Idol or, or Dancing with the Stars, and they're so knowledgeable. I mean, they know everything. Obviously, somebody is keeping up with the Kardashians, Right? Because it's staying on the air. They know all these things. But we don't see the irony, do we? We can spend so much time watching other people live their lives. Or maybe we just daydream. We watch some travel channel show and think, one of these days I'm going to go. One of these days I'm going to go there. Or maybe we just wear that expensive clothing and never have an intention of ever leaving the house. Spiritually, we may be doing the same thing, have this spectator, this passive mindset, and we miss out on the mission of a lifetime. For the next four weeks, I want us to talk about what is your next step? What is your next step in following Jesus? And that's going to be the challenge for each of us to ask, what is the next step in your journey of faith? Ty Tamasaka wrote a book called Starting Fresh, and the subtitle was Following Jesus on the Adventure of a Lifetime. I like that. Following Jesus on the adventure of a lifetime. But the more I thought about that, I thought adventure sounds almost like a roller coaster. You know, and, and really following Jesus is not always a roller coaster ride. 
Sometimes following Jesus could even be in the doldrums of everyday life of just keeping a commitment. So instead of saying adventure of a lifetime, I want to use the word mission. To follow Jesus on a mission of a lifetime. There may be some roller coaster moments, and there may be some moments of just standing in line, waiting for your time to go. But it's a life with a mission, life with a purpose, life with direction, and a mission like none other. Because without meaning to, we can just mark off another day, just doing the same old, same old. And somewhere spiritually, we're, we've not advanced at all. A year passes, five years, ten years, and we're no further along. We're no deeper spiritually. We look at back our life, there's no story to tell because we've not done anything. We've not grown anyway. There's been no experience that we've lived. Just another day, just another year. But what if this church were to be full of explorers? To have that exploring mindset, to follow Jesus for the mission of a lifetime. I think one of the ways that we're stepping toward that is our home Bible studies. To have these groups where we don't just come in and we sit and listen to a lesson. We get in small groups and we talk about it. How do we live that out? How do we make it real? Because that's what we want to know. How do we make this real? Last week, we did a phenomenal thing, making it real by spending the whole afternoon serving. That's what we're talking about. This is not just sit and learn. This is take it out into the streets. Not just to be people who read about other people's stories, but the ones who are living it. What I want to do in the next few minutes is to look at the invitation that Jesus gives His disciples to go on a mission for a lifetime. And what I want to do in our study this morning, I want you to see this invitation from two different Gospels, two different perspectives, because while they share the same invitation to follow Jesus, the writers come at it from a total different angle. So I want to look at Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 4. And we're also going to look at Luke's account. So if you open your Bibles, go ahead and open it to Matthew chapter 4. The verses are going to be on the screen if you want to follow that way. But I want to look at this, these two stories about Jesus inviting those original disciples to follow him. Now let me give you a little bit of background so you can understand why they do it the way they do it. Matthew, and this is important, Matthew is writing to a mostly Jewish audience. If you know, you study about Matthew, he's a Jew, and so he's writing to other Jews, and so, among other things, it begins with a long genealogy, but there's also other things, because he's a Jew, writing to other Jews, there's things he doesn't have to explain. There's some cultural implications that's sort of a given, so he doesn't have to take the time or, or to write them all out. Things like, what does it mean to follow a rabbi? See, following if you have a rabbi, that means you're following him, that you are under his tutelage. That's part of what that means of being that, that, that follower of that rabbi. He didn't have to explain that, so he doesn't say that. And what you're going to notice in Matthew's account, it's short, brief, not a lot of details. Look how he describes this invitation. Matthew chapter 4, you remember the story, verse 18. Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said. I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in the boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Now, short you read Matthew's perspective here? Here's what it looks like. And this may be the way you perceive the whole invitation to follow Jesus to look like. 
Jesus comes along and says, follow me to these two. They don't know a lot about him. They don't know who he is. They're not sure where this road is going. They don't want to go to hell. They want to go to heaven. And so Jesus, the way they got to go. And so they say, okay. And they leave everything. Good luck, Dad, with the fishing business. Tell Mom we said goodbye. And they accept the invitation, cold turkey, and they're off to follow Jesus. That's what it appears like in Matthew's account. Kind of impulsive. Kind of, they don't really even know what they're getting. Do they even know this guy? What is he teaching? This mission they're going on with him, where is it going to lead? How is it going to end? They don't know any of this. In fact, in some ways, we might look at this and go, that seems rather irresponsible for them just to right there off the cuff, jump in and say, I'm in. And I'm going to follow Jesus. And that may be how some of us felt like growing up, what this invitation to follow Jesus was like. The way it works. No time for questions. You're in or out. You want to go to heaven? Come on. The bus is leaving. And you're going to have to jump in. You're not even sure where the bus is going. But Jesus says, follow me. And what I want us to see here is there are time for questions. Those are welcome. It's not a, you've got to get in without thinking about it. In fact, he welcomes questions. Because Luke writes the same story, but instead of being so short and brief like Matthew was, he goes into a little more detail. Because while Matthew wrote to a Jewish audience, and maybe some of those cultural implications weren't needed, Luke writes to a Gentile audience. In fact, most believe that Luke was a Gentile himself. And so maybe as an outsider, writing to the outsider, he says, okay, a lot of my listeners, a lot of my readers, they're not going to know the Jewish custom. They're not going to understand what it means to follow a rabbi, that you leave everything and you're kind of with him 24-7 for a length of time. They wouldn't know all of that. So he had to give a little more background. And he does just that. In fact, that's one of the things we appreciate about Luke's Gospel is he does give us some details. Luke knows that the Gentiles are going to be skeptical. What does this mean? And they're going to have some questions. So he knows there's going to be some things that need to be explained. In fact, look how he opens the Gospel. Luke chapter 1, very first verse. Luke 1, 1. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the Word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning... It seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Look what Luke is saying here. I've carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Luke, the physician, is so detailed here. He's explored these things. He's asked the question, and he's written them down in an orderly manner because you're going to be asking the same questions. So he knows... His audience is going to be reading this with a healthy dose of cynicism. Who is this Jesus? And is He the Messiah? And why should I follow Him? And where is this road going? Good questions to ask. So before he writes the same story as Matthew about the invitation where Jesus invited these same men to come and follow Him, Luke gives us some background. What happened before the invitation? Because he knows his people are going to be asking those questions. Look at Luke 4, verse 14. Before calling the disciples, he tells them that Jesus has already been in that area teaching. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. 
He taught in their synagogues and everyone praised Him. So Jesus is making the rounds here. Jesus is teaching and everybody knows about Him. And Luke makes the point. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, everyone had heard about Him. Maybe even heard Him. And they knew He was an incredible teacher like no one else had heard before. But here's another one. He mentions, Luke does, they had seen the power of this new teacher. Look at verse uh, 36, Luke 4, 36. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to the evil spirits and they come out and the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. So twice he says, news is, is everywhere, but this time he mentions he's not only a, an amazing, incredible teacher, he has the power over demons. So people knew that. Peter and Andrew knew that. James and John knew that. Look how chapter 4 ends. Before we get to the invitation, I mean the, the invitation of Jesus, Luke, Luke 4, verse 34, 43 and 44. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to all the other towns also, because this is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. I share that because here's what I want you to catch. Sometimes we may present this journey of faith you may have the impression of this journey of faith is, here it is, no time for questions. You're either in or out, or you just got to make the decision. If you have doubts, you keep those to yourself. You've got, if you've got questions, well, you're on your own about that. We're not going to talk about that. Just get in line and follow. Sometimes it's portrayed that way, or we might perceive it that way. But what I want you to know here is Luke shows something different. John does too. I put it on the screen there. When Jesus called the disciples, He gave them an opportunity to explore. He didn't expect them just to believe just like that. He gave them an opportunity. He made the rounds. He taught in the synagogue. Everyone had heard about Him. You come and see. You investigate. In fact, in John's Gospel, He used those very words. Come and see. Come and you investigate. You explore. And then in Luke chapter 5, he tells the same story as Matthew's, but he gives us, again, a bit more detail. Look there in Luke 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, another name for Sea of Galilee, with the people crowding around him, listening to the word of God. Now, Matthew said Jesus was by the sea, but he didn't say anything about teaching or preaching. Luke does. Not conflicting stories, but again, Luke just gives us more detail here. Verse 2, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the notes, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now we know the story, you're familiar with it. We know nature, that water can be an amplifier, and so he's just taking advantage of the obvious here. Jesus gets in Peter's boat. And I take it that Andrew was in there with him. And get the setting here. Andrew and perhaps, I mean Peter and perhaps Andrew too, they're sitting in the same boat with Jesus as Jesus is talking to the crowd. They get a front row seat as he's teaching in this incredible way. Front row, catching it all. Look at verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. And you hear what he's saying? And we're familiar with the story enough to know we've already done this. 
They're the professional. They know that. He's the fisherman. Jesus is not the fisherman. But look what he says. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. We'll come back to that in a moment. But look at verse 6. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled the partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Do you see the difference in these two stories? Matthew tells you bare-bones facts. But Luke gives you a little of the background, a little of the setting, the backstory that went before the actual invitation that these disciples had time to explore, to listen to Jesus' words, to watch His miracle happen even right before them. Not just things they heard, but they witnessed it. And then they were given the invitation. Take the next step. Leave their nets and follow Him. So that's the question that I want all of us to ask as we go through this study. What is my next step in my journey with Jesus? And all of us have one. What is my next step? For each of us, we need to answer that. No matter if you're not even sure if you want to follow Jesus. Or maybe you've been a Christian for decades. All of us have a next step. I put this on the screen. I want you to get this. No matter where you are in your faith, there should always be an exploration of faith. Always, never stop learning, never stop asking, never stop digging, never stop exploring. And you see this from the disciples right from the beginning, and really all throughout they're following Jesus. They listen to the teaching of Jesus, they have time to discover it for themselves, to witness it. They personally encounter the truth. When Jesus asked them to follow, they explore it. But they were open, they were willing, because you say so. So this is a step I really want to challenge, and this is some of you in particular, because you've been coming to church for a while. You're not even sure if you're a Christian yet. So you've got some questions. You've got a next step. And some of those questions may be holding you back spiritually. Because you're not sure what to do with those questions. Because maybe you don't know if you can ask them. Questions like, how do you reconcile the goodness of God and the horrible suffering in this world? How do you reconcile a loving God with the doctrine of hell? There's so many beliefs about God, which God is right, and yet you say Jesus is the only way. Those are good questions. What do you do with questions like that? Where can you ask those questions? Instead of feeling free to explore and ask, some people feel like they can't ask those questions. Or maybe they're scared to ask those questions. Because maybe if they get an answer then what are they going to do with that answer? That answer might compel them then to do something, to take the next step. One of the things I've discovered over the years is that some people can be full of questions, but they don't really want the answers. I've had people ask me, maybe you have too, they'll say, hey, what about this? Or what about that? And so you'll engage in a conversation and think, hey, here's a good book that I read that helped me. So you give them a copy of the book, or, or maybe you, you send them to a link to a, an internet site with a great article, or maybe a blog that somebody wrote, or maybe a YouTube lesson. You know, like, hey, hey watch this. And then you catch up with them later and say, did you ever read it? No, no, I've been so busy, I, I haven't. 
what I take from that is they don't really want to know. They may be asking the questions, but they're not really wanting an answer. Because not everybody wants to know the answer. They don't want to ask the question. Sometimes we act like we have questions, but the reality is we may not want to explore. Because if we peer over the edge, then we're going to be ready to take the next step, whatever the next step is. But think about this. Jesus was never afraid of questions. He welcomed anybody, everybody who was honestly searching. Even Thomas. Remember when Thomas doubted? Jesus didn't chastise him for doubting that He came back from the grave, but He went to him personally. You remember John 20, 27? He said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand, put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. Thomas, touch it for yourself. It's like, come and see. Explore. Don't take everybody else's word for it. He didn't chastise Thomas. He welcomed that skepticism and that cynicism and that questioning. And so his response to Thomas is the same for all of us. Stop doubting and believe. Ask the question. But be honest about it. And then be ready to accept the answer. See, this is not just a step for those who are not even sure if they're a Christian or not, or maybe looking for a church home. All of us need to have this same mindset to continue to explore. But here's what happens. For the first 18 years of our life, we spend 12 of those going to school sitting. And the teacher teaches. We sit, the teacher teaches. Sometimes we go to more school than that. Four more years of sitting, the teacher teaches. And there comes a point where sometimes like, I can't wait to get out of school. I'm ready to get to work, ready to do something. I think God made us that way. But sometimes we can bring that same mentality to church. I just come in and sit, somebody teach me. Come and sit, somebody teach me. Come and sit, somebody teach me. Folks, that's not healthy. At some point, you have to say, I need to do something. I need to get involved. I want to serve. I want to pour into somebody else. This is not just us. This has always been the case with those following Christ. It's easy to come in and be passive and say, feed me. We're like the baby chicks. We expect somebody else to go get the food and feed us. And we remain helpless. The writer of Hebrews said these scathing words, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk and not solid food. That's the NIV. The New Living Translation renders that last part. You are like babies who need milk. You cannot eat solid food. Sometimes we can be like babies in a spiritual rut. And we're not growing. Here's what I want you to get. One of the things you'll find in Scripture, when you're talking about spiritual maturity and growing the Lord, following Him, and this is so important, community is always assumed. I want to make sure you get that. Community is always assumed. Because sometimes in our mind, we think explorer, we think Indiana Jones. Kind of going alone. We're going solo, maybe with a sidekick, but he's doing what I want him to do. But we're the one in charge. But what you read in Scripture is we're not alone. That we're never alone. Following Jesus is always to be done in community. That's why we have a church. That's why we have a spiritual family. And we see this over and over in Scripture. We are to encourage each other. Strengthen one another. Support each other. Hold each other accountable. It's all part of it. We need community. And here's another one. This is important to do. And we see this in Peter and the disciples. Exploring means personal involvement. It's personal. It's not just your family thing. It's not just the cultural thing. It's you. It's your decision. 
means you go from learning and discovery to getting personally involved. Jesus asked Peter to go into deeper water and to cast his nets. Because up to this point, Peter's just been an observer. You know, just kind of taking it all in. He'd heard about Jesus, heard Jesus, front row seat, listened to him, saw all of this. But up to this point, just an observer. But now Jesus asked him the question, go to deeper water, put out your nets. Peter has a decision to make. And here's where I want us to see. We're just like Peter because we think we know what's right. I've been fishing all night. Didn't catch anything. I've been at this all my life. I know what I'm doing. And what Jesus is saying makes no sense. Isn't that exactly what's going on here? You go into deeper water, put your nets out. Peter's thinking, it ain't going to happen. I know. But do you remember his words to Jesus? But because you say so. Because you said so. Now, however reluctant it is, he said yes. And he does it. And God performs a miracle right there on the water. I think this is really significant. Because he takes this one small area, Peter's profession, that can be our identity, our very substance, who we think we are, and he makes him rethink it. Gives him an opportunity to maybe think outside the box. And what I want you to know, that's what it means to take the next step. It means God is going to get into your business and say, okay, what is your next step? And just like Peter, I know better. I've been living this life all these years. I know what I'm doing. And I hear what you're saying, but it makes no sense. But can't we, like Peter, take the next step and say, because you say so. What is your next step in growing in the Lord? In maturing? For the last month, the Bible class that I'm a part of, we've been talking about forgiving. Maybe your next step could be praying for your enemies. That makes no sense to this world. It makes no sense to us. That's what Jesus tells us to do. And so maybe the challenge to take the next step is to do just that, to pray for your enemies. Because you say so. Or maybe like we've been talking about as a church for the last five weeks, about stewardship, about our finances. Lord, what does it mean to tithe? What does it mean to give sacrificially? Maybe it's time to take the next step and say, God, I want to worship You with all that I have. I hear what You're saying. This is hard for me. This doesn't make sense to me. But because You say so, I'm going to take this step. Maybe for you, your next step would be in... in in your sexuality. Maybe there's been some mistakes there. And you're trying to figure out, where do I go from here? Maybe you need to listen to the Word of God and say, because you say so, I'm going to try it. Maybe it's in your marriage. You know what the world says? The world is full of some miserable marriages. But maybe it's time to listen to the Word of God and take the next step and say, Lord, because you say so, what? Say, Lord, because you say so, I'm going to honor my husband, obey my husband, and cherish my husband, and build him up. Because you tell me that's what he needs. And husbands, you would say, Lord, because you say so, I'm going to treat my wife like she's the most precious thing, just as you treat the church. Because you say so. Here's the conclusion. I want to get this. And here's the question to ask. Am I a tourist? Or am I an explorer? 
because they can both be wearing the Patagonia. They can both be wearing the same clothes. But here's the difference. A tourist, they get on the bus and they've got a guide and it's all mapped out for them. And when they get for a lunch stop, well, somebody's already worked on that and they've got the table spread and, and somebody's already booked the, the bed that night because it's all part of the tourist package, right? But not an explorer. And an explorer doesn't know what's on the other side of that cliff. They don't know about lunch. That's why they got granola in their backpack because they're not sure, but they're taking that step. Are you a tourist? Or are you an explorer? A tourist wants to sit in a comfy tour bus and be entertained. But an explorer says, get me out of here. I want to scale this mountain and see what's on the other side. And if you're just sitting there staring off into space or, or maybe you're just watching it on TV and saying, one of these days I'm watching this Travel Channel show, I'm going to go, one of these days I'm going to go, maybe it's time to go. To take a step. Here's, here's a way to answer this question. Are you a tourist or an explorer? Maybe you grew up in a church setting where you heard the invitation of following Jesus kind of stated like this. You invite Jesus into your life. You invite Jesus into your heart. You've heard that phrase? And there's something good about that phrase, but I don't think it's complete. But that's kind of how we paint the picture. If you believe in Jesus, then you accept Jesus into your heart. But put that kind of question with Peter in the boat. That's not the way Jesus posed it to him. It wasn't a matter of saying, Jesus, I invite you into my heart, into my boat. You can be my fishing buddy. Here you sit beside me. You do your miraculous powers with my nets and we get a winning combination. People are going to come everywhere to see the good that can be done. I'm going to invite you into my life, into my boat, into my fishing business. That wasn't the invitation to Peter to invite Jesus into his life. The invitation was for Peter to join Jesus in his life and to go on a mission of a lifetime. That's how you know. That's how you answer the question, am I a tourist or am I an explorer? We're not inviting Jesus into our life. We're accepting His invitation to follow Him, to be completely committed followers. So that's going to be our quest for the next four weeks as we talk about this. What is your next step? Your next step may be something simple saying, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and I'm ready to, to answer His call to baptism. Let Him make me a new creation. Wash my sins away. Your next step may be to ask some of those questions and explore the answers and be open to do whatever it is He says next and say, I don't quite get it all, but because you say so, I'm in. What is your next step? Today, if you need to accept Jesus, this invitation song is for you. Or if we can pray for you in any way, won't you come?